Thank you for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and encourages you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and resources, visit hopeboon.com. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to I want to share with you from the word today if that's all right. And if it's not all right, too bad. Amen. I'm beginning a, a new series, and I'm excited to do that. Before, before I jump into that, actually, I want to say thank you to Marshall Hazlitt for, uh, for hosting Panfish in the Park yesterday uh, up in Blowing Rock. He put together a great event for our kids, and uh, a lot of families showed up, and, and we just had a really great time. Our kids caught a ton of fish. I caught nothing, uh, nothing at all. But I was fishing for, for bass, and there just wasn't very many bass that were biting yesterday. But uh, it was a really great time. And if you missed this one, we'll do this again, because it was really an absolute blast. And, uh, a great time. We got there, and there was all kids. So many kids had their uh, lines in the water, and it was wonderful. Uh, before we got going, we were, we were at our house getting ready to leave. And I was sitting on the couch with my youngest daughter, Sophia, who's five and a half. And we were both putting on our shoes. And, and as she got her shoes done, she was very excited to come fishing. And she turns and she looked at me. And I said, what's up, baby? She goes, Daddy, I hope we get a tuna. <laughs> and I said, me too, baby. <laughs> me too. I hope we get a tuna. Hey, I'm, we believe in serving God of miracles, right? We, we get a tuna and a little lake and a little pond and blowing rock, can't you? Amen. Well, if you missed yesterday, come to the next one and maybe you will get a tuna. All right. I want to begin this series today and we'll be in this for the next several weeks. It's called The Power of an Invitation. The Power of an Invitation. And this this uh, series was, was inspired by my dear friend and pastor, uh, a good friend of mine who's a pastor up in Boston, Pastor Josh Roberts. And he and I uh, have had some conver- quite a bit of conversation about this, and, and he's preached on this topic before. And I said, dude, you got to send me your notes. This is really powerful stuff. So, uh, so I've been really meditating in this concept of, of how powerful it is to give an introduction to someone to know Jesus. This series is all about evangelism. It's all about you and I taking the message of Jesus out into the community. Because how many of you have figured out there's people People around you every single day that need to know the love of God. There's so many people around us that they don't they don't know Jesus the way we do. They may not know and they may not know him at all. And some people, the very best that they have may be that they know of the Lord. In some cases, people know of God, but they have misconceptions about who he is. And you and I have been placed, I believe, by God strategically in our community to see people's lives transformed and to invite them into relationship with Jesus. So I want to talk to you about this concept over the next several weeks, and, uh, and I think it's going to be wonderful. If we could, before we do that, make our confession of faith that we like to make together, this declaration of what we're believing God for uh, as we get into the Word together. You'll see it on your screen. Let's read this and declare it out loud. Thank you, Father, that today the eyes of my heart see you The ears of my heart hear you. My heart and mind perceive and understand. Today I am growing in the things of God. Say that last line again. Today I am growing in the things of God. We believe we're growing in the things of God. Amen, don't you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for this opportunity that we have to come before your word. 
to receive wisdom from heaven. Lord God, that we might grow and be stretched, that we might be transformed and changed by your word and by your spirit, by your very presence. Lord, would you challenge our hearts today to grow? Would you give us the eyes to see you and the ears to hear you today? Help us to grasp your heart so that we can see this community transformed for the kingdom of God. We say these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Hey, I forgot to mention to the moms that at the end of the service, we have a gift for you. So before you leave, if you would go into the corner over there by where the coffee is, and there's a gift card there with, uh, just for you. If you'll grab one on your way out, we want to just let you know that we love you. Um, I want to begin in a, a kind of a slightly different manner than I do with most of my messages uh, typically I'll stand up here and I'll say, turn to this scripture and turn to this scripture. Usually I have two scriptures in mind. Uh, this morning, I'm, I'm still going to have you turn to plenty of scriptures, but I'd like to begin by sharing some what I think are some surprising statistics and some surprising numbers. Several years ago, the Billy Graham Evangelical Association conducted a survey of churches nationwide to determine how many people or excuse me, to determine how people arrived at the church that they attend. So the BGEA, a number of years ago, did a survey to determine how did you get to the church that you attend, whether you've just been there shortly or whether you've been going there for years and years. And here's the statistics. I thought these were pretty interesting and a little bit alarming, actually. Six to eight percent of them walked in of their own initiative. Six to eight percent walked in of their own initiative. Two to three percent liked a program that was offered by the church. Two to three percent liked a program. Eight to ten percent liked the pastor. Hey. <laughs> Eight to ten percent of them liked the pastor. Three to four percent, this is interesting, three to four percent had a need that was met by the church. So that's a, that's a valuable thing too, isn't it? One to two percent were evangelized. That's a sloppy number. One to two percent were evangelized. Three to four percent were attracted either by Sunday school or by the kids program. Eighty-three percent on average came to church because of an invitation by a friend or a relative. How many, Pastor John? Eighty-three percent. Most of the people that are here in this room were invited here by someone. Most of you were not just casually walking down the shoulder of Bamboo Road and thought, oh, look, there's a church. I should go. 83% <laughs> on average came to church because they were invited. Conversely, Lifeway Research did another survey and they did a study and they asked this question, how many times has a person personally invited an unchurched person to attend a church service or some other program? So they asked those who were in the group, how many times have you invited someone to church? 43% of church attendees responded zero. Almost half of the churches surveyed had never invited anyone to church. 33% of the people say they've personally invited someone one or two times. 
That's a lot. That, that, that's 80, guys, that's 81%. 81% of the church has either never invited anyone to church or only invited them once or twice. 19% say they've done so on three or more occasions in the last six months. Praise God for the 20 percenters that are out there telling people how good Jesus is. Why do I, take, why do I say these things to you? To make you feel guilty? No, just to show you that we got some work to do. We got some work to do. We get real comfortable. How many of you are comfortable this morning? This feels good in here. You're very comfortable. And that's good. There's nothing wrong with comfort. But sometimes we let our comfort displace our urgency to go and win the harvest. Sometimes, let me say that again, sometimes we let our comfort displace our urgency to reach the lost. Amen? I believe this series is both going to challenge you and then also hopefully inspire you to get out there and start talking to people about Jesus. You can talk to them about Hope Church, sure, but what we really want to do is introduce them to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen? So for the next several weeks, I want to talk about this idea of the power of an invitation. And I'll say this as my disclaimer at the beginning. There's sometimes an assumption that if you're being spiritual, that you're not being strategic and vice versa. If we want to be real spiritual, that means that we're just going to let, you know, just kind of throw our hands up in the air. and We're just going to trust God for everything. and We're not going to have a plan or a strategy or anything like that. You know, we're just led by the spirit around here. So we're just, we'll just let God figure it out. But I think that's lazy. And then there's the vice versa. There's the idea that if you're being strategic, if you get a plan from the Lord to reach people, if you actually talk about these kinds of things, that somehow we're not being spiritual anymore. And I don't like that church. The pastor's all about the numbers. Y'all all right this morning? <laughs> all right, just making sure. Just check your pulse if you need to. <laughs> At the risk of sounding overly goal-oriented and unspiritual, I want us to actually, for a moment, consider the person of Jesus. How many of you, you would say, just by show of hands, and I, I would expect most of us to raise our hands on this one, how many of you want to be more like Jesus? Amen. All right, we pray for everybody that didn't lift their hand at the end of the service. You want to be more like Jesus? Jesus was the greatest inviter of all time. Jesus was the master of the invitation. He was constantly, always looking for people. There was always people on his radar. There was always people in his heart. There was always, he's, he's constantly, you read the Gospels, he's constantly scanning to see, who am I going to minister to today? Jesus was always seeking people to invite them into what? Into a step, to step into a life that they never knew was available. Let me say that again. Jesus was always seeking people to invite them to step into a life that they never knew was even available. They didn't know that it was possible to live the way that Jesus was inviting them to live. Amen. Think about, think about this, man. Jesus went after the folks that nobody cared about. He did, man. He went after the down and outs. And he went after the up and comings. He was always surveying, looking to see who was, whose heart was ready for him to speak to them. 
He sought out the people that no one else liked. Think about John chapter 4. You remember John chapter 4? The Samaritan woman at the well. You remember that? It was, it's one of the most amazing passages in the Gospels because not only is Jesus doing something that no other Israelite man would be willing to do, and that was talk to a woman in public. Not only was he doing that, he was talking to a Samaritan woman. There was, there was, such, there was such tension between Israelites and Samaritans at that time, the Israelites looked down their nose at the Samaritans. They considered them to be half-breeds. They actually called them dogs. And here's Jesus doing the unthinkable. He's talking to a Samaritan woman at this well. You know the story. She gets so radically impacted by the ministry of Jesus to her personally that she turns around, goes back into the city of Samaria and says, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. She, in an instant, became Jesus' biggest walking billboard for his ministry. Come and, come and see this man. Think about Zacchaeus. Do you remember Zacchaeus? Little wee Zacchaeus. How many of you grew up in Sunday school and sang a little song about Zacchaeus who climbed a tree to meet Jesus? Yeah, some of you, amen. What did Jesus say to little wee Zacchaeus? He saw him up in the sycamore tree and in Luke chapter 19, verse five, Jesus reached the spot. He looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. Watch this. I must stay at your house today. There was an urgency in the heart of Jesus to reach those who were not being reached. He was always in the pursuit of people. So, so let me ask you this. What did Jesus do that we need to do as well? If Jesus was this guy who was in pursuit of people, how can we learn from his example this morning? I want to give you three thoughts to consider about Jesus' commitment to the people that he invited. Three thoughts. If you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to write these down. If you're not taking notes, I still want to encourage you to write them down anyways because they're really good. Go with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 8, verse 22. Three thoughts to consider about how Jesus prioritized and committed himself to people. Number one, Jesus frequently went to the other side. Number one, Jesus frequently went to the other side. What does that mean? You're about to find out. Luke chapter 8, verse 22. It reads, Now it happened on a certain day that he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Pay, pay close attention to that phrase for just a moment. He said to them, Let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. But as they sailed, he, that's Jesus, fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water, and they were in jeopardy. Then they came to Jesus and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Now, you know the remainder of the story. He gets up, wakes up from his slumber, from his nap, and stands up into the stern of the boat, and he rebukes the wind and the waves, and they cease. And he and the disciples continue to sail. But notice where it is that they're sailing. 
He says, let us go to the other side. What does it mean to go to the other side? Anytime, I, I found this out, by the way, uh, by, by a conversation I was having with my dear friend, uh, Jonathan Arnett. We were having breakfast, and he had recently returned from a trip to Israel. And, and this conversation, uh, this, this idea of going to the other side came up in our conversation. I thought it was so good that I had to include it. What does it mean to go to the other side? Anytime you read this phrase in the four Gospels, it is referring to the other side of the Sea of Galilee which was the area where the Samaritans lived and the area where all the Gentiles lived in the nation of Israel. They lived on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So when Jesus says, let us go to the other side, he's talking about, anytime you read this in the four Gospels, if Jesus says, let's go to the other side, he's talking about getting in the boat, going to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is really just a very, very big lake. Go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and we're going to minister to people. Why was Jesus so, uh, what, what, what was Jesus' commitment to people? Well, number one, he frequently went to the other side. Let me ask this question. Who was on the other side? Who was on the other side? That's right, the Gentiles. A city filled, multiple cities filled with Gentiles. And if you continue to read this passage, you, found out, you find out there was a man who was demon-possessed that lived in the tombs that were by the lake. And Jonathan was telling me when we talked, he said, you can still see the exact same tombs. You can see the cliff where the pigs jumped off. You remember the story, Jesus cast the, the legion of demons. That's over 600 demons, by the way. He cast a legion of demons into these pigs, and they run down and go off this cliff. And he said, you can go and you can see it. It's all still right there today. Why, why was Jesus' commitment to people so unique? Is because he went to the other side. Who was on the other side? The Gentiles, the untouchables, the uncleans, the demon-possessed, the people that nobody wanted to have anything to do with. They were on the other side. Let me ask you another question. Who was not on the other side? The Pharisees, the Jews, the people who had covenant with God. They were comfortably sitting in their own homes and in their temple, minding their own business, not caring a lick about those Samaritan dogs and those Gentiles on the other side of the lake. Can I ask you another question? Why was there, uh, why was there wind and a storm that arose on the lake as they were crossing? If you read this whole chapter in context, you find it pretty, I find it pretty interesting, and I think it's pretty easy to see. There, the reason that there was a storm that Jesus had to come was because they were going to the other side to reach some demon-possessed people. Can I tell you that the devil loves to protect his interests? When he makes an investment in people... You know what I mean when I say that. He never makes an investment in people. He steals, kills, and destroys. But when he's working in someone's life, he likes to protect his investment, so to speak. So here comes Jesus and the disciples who's willing to go to the other side, willing to get uncomfortable, willing to go where the people are at and, and get to the people that actually need what he has. And what happens? Well, the enemy just tries to stop them. 
Can I tell you this? When you and I commit in our own lives to go to the other side, there's always going to be resistance from the enemy to go to the other side where the people are at. But can I tell you this too? There's always victory over the enemy and there's always a supernatural result on the other side when you get there. Come on, God's calling us to go into the neighborhoods that may make you uncomfortable. God's calling us to go and have conversations with people that maybe you don't like the way they dress, you don't like the way they live, you don't like the way they look. They may not be your kind of people, but God's calling us as he called Jesus to go to the other side. And when we do, there's a miracle waiting there. There's a demon-possessed guy waiting there. And no matter matter what storm gets thrown up in your way, there's authority in your life to calm the wind and the waves. I got to get to the people that God's called me to go to, and they're on the other side. Come on, is this helping you this morning? Jesus cares about the people on the other side, and God is looking for someone who's willing to go and reach them. Amen. Amen. So number one, Jesus frequently went to the other side. Number two, Jesus pursued ordinary people. Ordinary people. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. It says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I'll send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two, two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee. Aren't you glad your dad's name is not Zebedee? James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, they were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them. And you seeing a pattern here? Jesus is the master inviter. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Why is this significant? Jesus calls four guys in the scope of, of three or four verses. Two of them, both, both of them are sets of brothers, which I just think is really interesting. It speaks a little bit of spheres of influence. You always have more influence in your family. Jesus calls these four brothers to come to him. And the thing that stands out to me is that when Jesus was building up his ministry team, he wasn't going after the elite. He wasn't going after the educated He chose those men whom the culture considered to be ordinary. Ordinary. You know, when we think about, and I'm speaking to myself as a pastor, and I talk to a lot of other pastors, and and it's easy to fall into this trap. When you're you're a pastor or you're a leader leader in a ministry, it's easy to fall into this trap to think, we got to go after the elite people. We got to go after the influencers. We got to go after the people that everybody knows and likes because then they'll help us build a big church. Am I talking to anybody this morning? 
Hmm. Jesus didn't build his ministry team off of people that were the greatest influencers of their generation. He went after the ordinary folks. He went after the fishermen. He went after the guys that that everybody would just walk right past every single day and not think twice about. As my friend, I mentioned him earlier, Pastor Josh Roberts, as he says, Jesus didn't see these people for who they were. He saw them for who they could be. Isn't that awesome? You see, see, the, the heart of God is always to call out and draw out the best of people's lives. The temptation of our flesh, on the other hand, is to write people off when we see them show the worst of themselves. Oh, come on. Don't say, don't shout me down because I'm preaching good now. <laughs> we, this is what happens. People screw up, they mess up, they show us the worst of themselves. They let their flesh go and they have a moment. And what do we do? We write them off. I can't trust that person. Oh, they're not fit for ministry. Oh, they were late. I can't serve here anymore. (laughs) Oh, yeah. We get together and we have spiritual conversations, a.k.a. gossip parties. And we talk about how all, all our brothers and sisters that Jesus died for, we talk about how they missed it. Can't believe they dropped the ball again. Yes, we're going to have to remove them. No, Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't build his ministry with all the elites. He went after the ordinary people because he was willing to look past their rough edges. I don't know if you realize this. Peter had some rough edges. How many of you read your Bible? You know who Peter is. Peter had some rough edges. But you know what Jesus did? Jesus saw past the rough edges and he saw the heart of a man that he knew he could trust. I'm dropping bombs this morning, y'all. Just letting you know. Jesus looked through the roughness of Peter's exterior and saw a man that he knew and one day he could trust. Did you know that from the time... Peter denied Jesus. Y'all remember when Peter denied Jesus? From that moment to the moment that he stood up in Acts chapter 2 on the, on the day of Pentecost and preached the first sermon ever preached. First sermon ever preached by someone other than Jesus himself. The day that the church was born, Peter was the central figure that day preaching and being God's mouthpiece to the earth. Do you know how long that took from the moment that he denied Jesus to the moment he stood up and 3,000 people got saved after his message? 50 days. 50 days. All it took was six weeks for a man who went from denying Jesus to being the first person to ever preach a sermon in any church in history and get 3,000 people saved. We need to stop looking at people about their exterior. We need, we need to quit di- discounting people's ability based on how they let us down. Jesus built his ministry on the shoulders of ordinary men and women. 
I'm here to tell you we need to do the same. Amen. Praise God. Number three. Number three way that Jesus uh, showed his commitment to people. Number three. Jesus prioritized people. Jesus put people before himself. He put people before his own comfort. He put people before his own agenda. Listen to the priority that God places on the people that he created. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. God doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants everybody to come to repentance and be saved. Romans 10 verse 15 says this, Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm here to tell you, we're not building this church just for the sake of building another ministry. Come on, y'all. We're not building this church just just so we can say that we've got another great ministry in the high country. We're building a church that will prioritize people and rescue them from hell and teach them how to live in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. We see the world differently. We have to. We're the church. We have to see the world the way Jesus sees the world. We have to be able to prioritize people the way Jesus has prioritized them. Everybody needs somebody who will seek them out and prioritize them. I'm going to say that again. Everybody needs a somebody who will seek them out and prioritize them. What did Jesus say when he called his disciples? He said, follow me and I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Or in other words, you can say it this way, follow me and I'll, I'll turn you into an inviter. In other words, Jesus saying, let me catch you, and in catching you, teach you how to catch. Follow me. Come here. Come here. Come here. I'm inviting you. I'm inviting you. And as I invite you, I'm going to teach you how to invite. I'm going to teach you how to roll out the red carpet and welcome people into the kingdom of God. Romans chapter 10, verse 14 says this, how can they hear unless someone tells them? How shall they hear unless someone tells them? Everybody needs a someone. You you needed a someone. You needed a someone to tell you of the goodness of Jesus. How How many of you got saved just on your own with no intervention from anybody else? No, of course not. Somebody told us about the goodness of Christ. By the way, let me just interject this. This is not part of my notes. This is free. But this is one of the ways that will keep you out of pride is when you remember what had to happen for you to get to where you're at. 
That'll, that'll, if, you, if, you, if, you will go, if you're willing to go back and think back to, to what happened in your life that got you to this place that you're at, you'll be way less prideful and you'll be way more patient with other people that are still on their way. Amen? Boy, it's quiet in this church this morning. Y'all alive? All right, just checking. How can they hear unless someone tells them everybody needs a somebody and everybody needs to be a somebody for somebody else? Amen. Amen. Somebody's got to tell that neighbor, that coworker, that, that cousin, that uncle, that aunt, that brother, sister, father, nephew. Somebody's got to tell the world about Jesus. I want to ask you a question that I think is a challenging question as we close, but I want to ask you this question. Why is it that we shut down when the opportunity to invite pops up? Have you had this happen to you? I know I've had it happen to me more times than I'm, than I'm okay admitting. The invitation is right in front of me. The person is there. The door is open. The opportunity has presented itself for me to extend invitation into the kingdom of God. Whether it's to lead somebody to Jesus for the very first time, whether it's to you know, welcome a prodigal back home that has, that has walked away from the Lord, whether it's to pray for someone who is very obvious that they need a touch from God. Every time it seems like the moment is available, something wants to stifle it inside of us. Why? Why is that? I want to give you two reasons that I believe that it could be. Could it be that because we know ourselves and we know how imperfect we are? Anybody ever been hindered by that? I know I have. You don't have to raise your hand. I'll raise your hand. I'll raise my hand for you. <laughs> Why do we shut down when the opportunity comes? Could it be because we know ourselves and we know our own imperfections? I mean, you could say this, man, nobody knows my past quite like me, right? I know I'm not alone in that. Can I tell you something? Jesus knows your past, and he still chose you, and he's still actively choosing you to be the one to tell of his goodness. I want you to turn and look at the person that's sitting next to you, and I want you to say this to them with all seriousness. Say, you are God's perfect choice to share his love. Come on. Do we really believe that? Do we really believe it? Now turn, turn and tell the other person. Turn and tell the other person the same thing. You are God's perfect choice to share his love. Come on. <laughs> it's the truth. But, but do we really believe it? Do we really believe it? I want to encourage you with this because we do know our own past so well because we do, we do know what our lives look like, you know, B.C., before Christ. Don't let your past keep you from securing someone else's future. Wow. 
Let me say it again. Don't let your past prevent you and keep you from securing someone else's future. Every time you walk out these doors and you go into this world and you go into this community, we're every day passing by people whose eternities are hanging in the balance. We have to embrace a sense of urgency about the harvest. Number two, why do we shut down when the opportunity to invite pops up? Number two, I believe we shut down because we're afraid that we don't have all the answers. How many of you relate to that? Man, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to say, yeah, I don't, I don't want to say anything because I don't think I'm going to have all the answers. You don't have to know it all. Here's all you have to be able to do. Point. That's all you got to be able to do, man, is point. Just point to Jesus. Just, just start with your own story. Just, just tell him about how, how, how marvelous it was that God saved you. Tell him what it was like when you went from darkness to light. You know who does a great job of this? Mr. Dan right here on the front row. Every time he comes to church, I say, how you doing, man? How's your week? Oh, brother. Something good's happening at Publix. I prayed with so-and-so this week. I talked to so-and-so this week. I talked to this lady came through, and she was obviously really hurting, so I just offered to pray for her. I love your boldness, man. I love your boldness, brother. Amen. That's right. Well, that's all it takes is to just encourage and just to point. You don't have to, you don't have, to have a, a, a six-point sermon prepared. You don't have to be ready to answer everybody's questions. Can I tell you this? And maybe this will come as a surprise to you, but it's the truth. You don't have to defend Jesus. You don't have to defend Jesus. We think we gotta be, we think we gotta have all the arguments mastered. Do you know what Jesus called you to be? His witness, not his defense attorney. Amen. It's true. You just got to be able to point. Did you ever think about that? The difference between a witness and an attorney? An attorney defends. A witness says, here's what I saw. This is what happened. One more scripture. John chapter 1 verse 45. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus. He's the son of Joseph of Nazareth. Nazareth, explained Nathanael. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Watch this. Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. You don't have to know the answers. You just have to be able to say, come and see for yourself. If we can just, my friends, if we can just get our families, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, if we can just encourage them to come and see for themselves and bring them into the presence of Jesus, he will do what you and I could never do. I don't know if you realize this or not, but the presence of God is in our church. Amen. I know that's like a big shocker. 
we prioritize the presence of God in this ministry. That means that on Sunday mornings when you come here, you're not coming here alone. You're meeting with God. God is in this place. And if we will learn to help our friends and neighbors and co-workers and the, the lady that makes your coffee and the, and the people that you see in the parent drop-off line at school, if we will learn to bring them and usher them into this place, the presence of God will do the rest. Amen. God will speak to people's hearts. We need to be come and see people. Amen. You know what I'm saying when I say that? We just, man, we just need to be come and see people. Come and see. Come and see a man who told me everything he did. Come and see for yourself. Oh, is there anything good about Jesus? Well, come and see for yourself. Is there anything good going on at Hope Church? Well, yeah, come and see for yourself. Amen. It, it, I, I want to pray for you this morning. And, and if, if you're ready to make the commitment to become a, a person of the invitation, if you're ready to become a person who wants to be like Jesus and invite people into a relationship with God, if that's you, would you stand to your feet? I want to pray over you. And we're going to close our service this morning. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. You say, Pastor, that's me. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be an inviter. Amen. Hallelujah. Why don't you close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment? I want to pray over you today. I believe that the Lord's going to meet you right where you're at. And I believe that God will empower you to be the witness that he's called you to be. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you now. Thanks again for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. Our church exists to see people from all walks of life know Jesus, connect and grow, discover their purpose, and make a difference in this world. If you would like to connect with us further, or if you need prayer or assistance, please visit us at hopeboon.com, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.